all while this was being filmed and there's dogs going off, the family sitting there and they shot this seven-year-old girl who was just laying on the couch sleeping in the middle sleeping. of the night with her grandmother. All right, everybody, welcome to Cases Gone Wild podcast brought to you by none other than myself, John Marco and the Marco Law Firm. I'm your host and each show, as you as you know, if you follow us, we bring you the craziest, wildest cases that have gone completely wild and tell you our stories of some things that you just will not believe. And I'm really excited about today's episode because today we have Samantha Teal, who was the former assistant for Jeffrey Figer and also trial consultant and trial extraordinaire. And we have some crazy stories that we're going to share with you today. As always, be sure to like us, follow us, share us if you enjoy our show so we can uh, get out there and reach more people. Samantha, thank you for being here. You're a good friend. You've been through a lot of crazy cases. Some cases with me, some cases with me and Jeff all together, because we're kind of doing like a series on Jeff Figer. We had Jim Harrington on, we have Steve Nat, Mm -hmm. uh, a jury consultant, and we we have you on. So I'm really excited about today. A little bit about Samantha. She uh, is former assistant for Jeffrey Figer, but trial assistant. So she would help Jeff get ready for trial, try cases, pick juries, get witnesses, prep, basically everything that a lawyer, a good lawyer would do to assist and kind of like what I did when I worked for Jeff in getting things ready. And I understand you have a new business now and you are a consultant. And so you're, you're actually out kind of for hire to do what you did to bring Jeff Figer's success for other lawyers. So Welcome to the show and tell us a little bit about what you do. Thank you. First off, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Uh, me and John have been friends for years and honored to know him. He's taught me a ton and I owe a lot to him as well. Um, so thanks for having me. I uh, worked for Jeff, started with him when I turned, uh, I was just about to turn 20. 20 years old. Yeah. So I was really young um, and was with him for eight years almost. Um, wow. Traveled the country, got to see some of the craziest cases all over the country meet a lot of very cool people and really learn from who i believe is one of the greatest if not the greatest trial lawyers of our time yeah Um, i I agree with you i think you know as again we say you love jeff you hate jeff you feel in between he was a great he is a great lawyer yeah i um i owe everything to him he gave a 20 year old girl who had no idea what a plaintiff or defendant even was a chance and really, I always joke and say I went through the Jeffrey Freiger Trial Practice Institute. He he taught me everything about the law and what it takes to be a good trial lawyer and to really win over a jury and win your case. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it was opportunity of a lifetime that turned into a career that I never had planned but wouldn't change for anything. And, you know, you when you say you got to work with some of the best lawyers across the country, you 
would work with Jeff. I know you'd work with Jack Beam out of Chicago. You'd yeah. really get to work with these amazing kind of top-notch attorneys across the country. And you've flown with Jeff around the country trying cases in all, many other states, haven't you? I know Florida, yeah. Iowa, uh, all yeah. over the place. Um, got to work with John Edwards on a case in uh, North Carolina, Florida, um, Iowa, um, North Carolina, just really all over the place, Wisconsin, yeah. and got to meet some really cool people in the business who have been doing this. Jerry Spence. Yeah. Um, just really some really cool icons. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so tell us about like what you're doing now before we talk about what it was like to yeah to work in some of the craziest cases that you've seen. And I mean, you and I have worked on some <laughs> insane cases and maybe we can talk about some of them today. Yeah. Some of them we can't talk about because they were so crazy and we get did so well yeah. for our clients that were like ultra uber sworn to secrecy on some of these cases, unfortunately. Yeah, it's like secret service stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so um, worked for Jeff for eight years and really got to know and learn what it means to try a case and everything that takes... Uh, it takes to win a trial, right? So it's it's more than just trial. It's the prep, right, that goes into it. So um, Jeff, after many years, really kind of gave me carte blanche to go and really help him prep his cases. So I'd go in and prepare the witnesses, prepare the medical records, the evidence, really help with strategy about what's our story, what are we going to present to a jury. Um, and I did that with him for eight years and then decided, you know, as I approach 30, you know, why not take the knowledge that I've learned that he's so graciously taught me and everything that I've learned and help other lawyers up their game. And, you know, a lot of lawyers, you know, are lawyers, but they don't necessarily know how to try a case. Like you're a phenomenal trial lawyer. And there's a lot of people that want to be a Jeff Feiger and be a John Marco, but they don't have necessarily the tools. So I want to help bring the trial practice to lawyers and help them really up their game in trials and what evidence do we present? What's the story we're going to tell? How are we going to, you know, have Vordir jury selection? You know, so I've been through the gauntlet enough times. I've, I can't even count how many trials yeah. I've done uh, and help really lawyers up their game and their trial practice and really help them become better lawyers. So people can hire you now because yes. you're on your own. Bring you in yes. if they have a case that they think is going to go to trial, right? Yep. And then you help them um, get everything together. Yep. Help with trial strategy. Yep. And help organize, right? I think organization, I, I know, look, I've worked with you on a bunch of cases <laughs> yeah. and it's been awesome yeah. because we make a great team. But organization in trial is a lot harder than it sounds. Oh, yeah. Like it's easy to say, all right, just get everything together. But it, it it's, there's, you know, if, especially on a complex case, hundreds of potential exhibits, sometimes thousands, thousands, yeah. thousands of maybe tens of thousands of pages of documents, yeah. um, witnesses, organization, the organization is a key to success. Uh, and it's, it's very hard. I always find it's harder to get organized preparing for trial than it is once I'm in trial and finding what you need. Right. Like when I'm in front of a jury, when I'm in front and I'm cross-examining someone and I don't have the exhibits that I need, right. if they're not organized, if they haven't been identified, yeah, uh, it's very hard. Right. And on the inverse, if you are prepared, and I've been, I've seen you in trial, 
Uh, I've seen you in court. You've been in court with me. I've seen you with Jeff. Uh, it makes a big difference. So yeah. I'm really excited for you. And I know that, that your business, you're already booked, it seems like, which is amazing. So yeah, uh, if you're out great. there and you need trial support, call Samantha. Uh, so anyways, I want to talk. We're here not to talk about unplug your new consulting firm. Yes. But we're so here to talk cases. about cases gone wild. <laughs> I'm here for it. So I'm ready. I, you know, you and I both work for Jeff. Yeah. And we both had a somewhat similar position of helping Jeff prep for trials and stuff. You weren't there when I was there. I was there before you, yep. right? Um, but we've seen a lot of crazy things. And one of the cases that I started working on when I was there, went on for what, eight years? Yeah, so I believe it happened in 2011. So yeah, eight, nine years. And I started it and you finished, finished it, it, right? Yeah. So, and it's a, it's Stanley Jones. So yes. it was a crazy, sad case. Uh, but why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the case? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, there used to be a show. I believe it was on Discovery. A and E. A and E. It was on First &E. Forty Eight. First Forty Eight. Yes, and they basically filmed Detroit Police Department and the cases and uh, investigations that were going on, and they were had a show and they were investigating. It was a murder of a young child in Detroit, um, and there was a duplex in Detroit where multiple family members lived, um, and they were separated, and. Um, Detroit police had a warrant out for a man who had murdered this young child. And um, when they went to do the warrant, they, um, you know, they, they were filming it. It was on TV. And they threw, I believe it was, you'll, you'll remember, it was like a... It was a flashbang flash grenade. grenade. And, and part of the, I don't, the, the, after this case, yeah. the Detroit police banned... Annie from embedding with their yes. police force. It's the last episode. It was the last episode. I don't even think they aired went, this no. because of what happened. Yeah. But the first 48, the whole premise of this show was in order to catch the criminals, Criminal. you have to, you know, do all your detective work within the first 48 hours. That's yes. like the most crucial time in an investigation. Yeah. And so they were embedding these film crews with the Detroit police. And in order to make good TV shows. Yeah. They were doing crazy shit. Crazy. In the first 48 hours to make good TV. Yeah. So like maybe where you didn't need to bust down a door and throw in grenades, they, they would were they wanted it. to put on a big show yeah. of how big and bad and SWAT was in the Detroit. So yeah. in this case, they actually raided the wrong duplex. So there was yeah. there was um it was a duplex like you said. They had like a warrant for like you know, 365, whatever street yeah. A, when they really rated 365, whatever mm -hmm. street B, because there was a different thing. And rather than do a knock and announce, which is, you know, they knock on the door or whatever. Yeah. The the film crew was there. Yeah. And they decided to go all literally gung-ho. Gung-ho, yeah. They brought a armored tank personnel carrier. It looked like the army was like, descending to, on this house the craziest i mean there was what do you 15 20 30 officers, officers swat, SWAT. they had tanks. machines guns yeah. they brought a tank up onto the front lawn 
It was. It was insane. Insane. And the camera and the camera crew's loving it. Yeah. And rather than and they go to the wrong place. Yeah. But rather than knock on the door, and it was the middle of night. Middle. It was like two a.m. Yeah. They kick. They they kick the door down. They throw in what's called a flashbang grenade, which is a grenade that explodes and creates blinding light and of dazzling like light so loud like decibel like it's beyond. so loud it it uh makes it so you can't hear yeah it gives you like a headache and then it blinds you so yeah. it's supposed to like you know you can chuck it in if there's like an armed guard or whatever and then you can go in and you can yeah. disorient people well in this duplex that they were raiding there was no criminal in there it was a family it was a family yeah. With a little baby girl, Ayanna Stanley Jones, yeah, who was sleeping on the living room couch Their where they threw a grenade, yeah, with the grandmother, and the grenade like burned them. Do you remember? Yeah, they threw it through the front window. They just crashed the window. Yeah, the grenade landed on them and burned them. Yeah. It gave them burns, and then. The first officer stormed through the front door. Stormed through the front door with a machine gun. It was yep. is an MP5 submachine gun, which lo- this is like stuff they use in the army. Yeah, and shot the little baby girl, seven years old, shot her right right in the head. head, right in the head. It was yeah. horrible. All while this was being filmed, and there's dogs going off, the family sitting there, and they shot this seven year old girl. Who was just laying on the couch, sleeping in the middle sleeping. of the night with her grandmother at the wrong place? Yeah, it was like it was like something you've never seen, and it's all on video. Yeah, but guess what they did to the video? Tell video them. went missing. Mm-hmm. Even though there was the film crew right there that was filming everything, right? Because they used to film like they'd be right behind the people going in, so they could go in. All the film people went missing. A and E went, went. Where's the video? We never, we never got the original video. Really? Yeah, never got it. Never got the original. There was some video. There was some video, but I don't think there's the original one of the actual. There was never the original video of the people at the door that we were ever able to get. So this is a crazy case, but this case was one of the first civil rights cases that I ever worked on with Jeff. Oh wow! And I had no idea what I was doing, Sam. (laughs) I literally had no idea. I had no business touching this case. Yeah. But Jeff said, you're going to work on this case and I'm going to, you know, help you along and show you what to do. Mm-hmm. And I remember we had, and this was the craziest case. Were you at the press conference? I was at the press conference. It okay? went like national. It was national. Yeah. International. Yeah. I used to go to court and there'd be news crews there. Yeah. So I'd have to walk through the news crews and go and argue. There's a picture of me. I was on the front of the Detroit Free Press going to court. I had no idea what I was doing. So I'll tell you about my first motion on this case, which was you have to go to court. So there was all, it was very contentious, right? Because it was a big case. The city of Detroit hired a very big law firm called Plunkett Cooney to represent them and come in along with the city of Detroit attorneys. Mm -hmm. And we had all these hearings. We used to have a hearing like every other week on this case. Yeah. And we had a big hearing. And this was one of the first hearings I ever did. It was maybe like my third hearing. Yeah. And I go to Jeff. I said, Jeff, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I said, can you give me some advice 
on this motion. I said, you know, what should I do? He just looked at me with a straight face and said, if you lose, don't come back, man. <laughs> don't come back to the office. So You're, Jeffrey. Get out of here. So Jeffrey. That was the advice. Did you win? I won. I won. Okay. Um, thank God. And uh, But that was how it started. But it was a very crazy case yeah. and very contentious case. Um, because there was criminal investigation. Yeah. If you remember, there was criminal charges against I was the say officer. He was charged. Yeah. I think he was ultimately acquitted, although that was after I had left. There was two trials. I think he had two trials, if I recall correctly. I think so too. I mean, yeah. it was crazy. He made up the. He said, I don't know, according to some people, he made it up, but he said that um, the reason that he shot the little girl was the like 80 year old grandma or whatever she was. Yeah. Like, like hit his gun or something yeah. crazy. I mean, it was just crazy. She was, I believe she was brought in for investigations. Really? And interviewed, yeah. Yeah. So I left and I that case was still going on when I left. But I mean, that's one of the uh, cases that got me really interested and impassioned about civil rights. Yeah. And, um, you know, th this was a big case. I think like, didn't the NFL put her picture on their yeah. helmets and um, whatnot? I worked with Naheem Hines, who is with the um, oh my, what Buffalo Bills, and they did a campaign for um, Black Lives Matter and for people to you know institute change. And he had her name on her helmet, and his cleats actually had a picture of her. And after he played a game, he um, contacted me and actually mailed his cleats to the to the mom oh it that's was like, nice yeah and he told her story about what happened and it was probably one of the most moving things that um, I've been able to be a part of to really help bring change and uh you know bring awareness to kind of what happened and you know her grandmother was a big um, proponent in starting a lot of the change and trying to you know help the inner city and these things that were going on with the police it was a it was a pivotal case and moment for um our culture yeah, for sure. And, you know, that's part of the, with a case like that is, right, it's a horrible tragedy. Yeah. What can we do? You, the only, you know, one of the biggest things is hopefully make some change Yeah. out of it, which I think there was with that case. Ultimately, you know, there, Jeff got justice for the family, right? Yeah. Um, and, but, and hopefully some changes were made and we know that they were made. They stopped allowing these film crews, yeah. which was a bad idea. You know, in some cities, they still let them them do that. But especially in Detroit, the way that it was being done, it was it was dangerous. I mean, you didn't need to do this. Right. So, yeah, I mean, who needs to have this huge giant tank coming down at two in the morning with yeah. 30 officers into the guns. wrong house? They had shields. I mean, it looked like some war. Into the wrong house. In the wrong house. Yeah, it, it was with children. And it was very evident. And like, if, if you recall, there was like toy cars like it was very evident there was children that lived in the home judging by the outside there was toys all over the yeah, place yeah and just very very just sad yeah well hopefully there's some changes in this this type of thing will not happen again yeah. uh, in the way that it did uh and we you know but we've had a lot of crazy cases yeah like that and we've worked on together a lot of crazy cases because Sometimes Jeff would call me, yeah. even when I was no longer there, and it would usually be more complicated, difficult, uh, difficult <laughs> cases. Yeah, 
Do you remember any that you want to talk about? There's some crazy cases that we've worked on or just in general. Yeah. That we've worked on. Yeah. Oh my God. Me and John. So we had a case, John got an amazing verdict, um, where your client, our client was shot. Yeah. And, uh, he had to go to a hospital for treatment and John tried the case. And I mean, I think some of the if not the craziest thing I've seen and heard is the jury in that case while you were up there and some of the things that they were saying. So I remember getting a call from you. Yeah. And you're like, Jeff wants to talk to you. How most things started. How most things started, which is <laughs> always like, a bad sign. Oh, John Jeffrey's looking for you. And uh, you said, don't do it. Remember? I do. You said, don't do whatever he's about to ask you. But I said, don't tell him I said that. Yes, of course. So uh, Jeff says, I got this case. I want you to try it. It's going to be easy, which is how it always starts. Famous last words. And it was a medical malpractice case. Yeah. And I said to Jeff, I've never tried a medical malpractice case before. I've handled a few over the years. I'm not a medical malpractice specialist. Uh, and certainly I've never tried a case. I don't know if I should go try this by myself. Mm-hmm. And do you remember what he said? Don't I'll, worry. Yeah. Just do it, man. Listen, I'll help you. I promise. Just for me, buddy. Please. Just do it. Yeah. And I said, all right, let me think about it. And then I said, no. Mm -hmm. Remember? And yeah. then you called me two weeks later. Yeah. On a Friday. Yeah. And you said, hey, Jeff wants to talk to you. <laughs> Just say no. <laughs> and it was like a Friday afternoon. I was in a really good mood. And he said... Just do it, man. It was Come coming on. up in like two weeks, too. It was in two weeks. Yeah, it wasn't like it was like a year out. It was like no time whatsoever. Two weeks or even a week or something. Yeah, it was not a lot of time to prep. And I said, Jeff, I've never tried a medical malpractice case. I don't think I should do this. Yeah. And he said, just do it, man. You'll be great. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about it. Whatever happens, happens. Yeah. And I said, okay. And I came and met with Jeff and we went over the stuff mm -hmm. and he gave, you know, we, you got the file together. You organized it. Great. Sam, just like, you know, that's what you do now. Right. And you helped me get everything together yeah. with Jeff. And then we went and we tried the case and, yeah. um, it was an interesting case because this guy had been shot like eight times in Detroit yeah. by, by just like a criminal. Yeah. He was like at a liquor store, our client. Our client had, you know, came from a lower socioeconomic background. Right. Yeah. Was at a liquor store. Had been shot like eight times. They threw him in the back of a car. They rushed him to the hospital. They saved his life. Yeah. They did like five surgeries on his legs. They had to dig out all these bullets out of his flesh. Yeah. And then they transferred this guy to like a nursing home mm -hmm. and they left gauze deep in his legs. Yeah. And the gauze... Uh, the legs formed over the gauze. And I think I've talked about this case before, but one of the, you know, we look for signs in trials, right? Yeah. Because we want to know that we're winning. Yeah, you're that's 100%. Or we're losing. Yeah. Or we need to work on this. Or we, but we're always looking because we don't know, right? Right. So we're always looking for signs. And the signs in this case, when we talk one thing, we could talk about experts and whatnot. But when I was cross-examining... Yeah one of the physicians who had left this piece of gauze stuck in my client's leg, literally just left it in there. Yeah. And he said, uh, he started lying. 
And I had a book. I had the book from the medical the medical book for internal medicine. Yeah. And I said, doctor, you know, isn't it true that this book says this and this book is like very authoritative on this? And yeah. he said, he said, yeah, that's the gospel. <laughs> that's the that's the doctor's Bible. Yeah. That's what it's everything that they base their care everything on. they yeah. base their training on. And so, well, I said, oh, this is the Bible. Okay. Well, then <laughs> this is here's fun. the section on bandages. And, yeah. you know, it basically said something like you should not leave a bandage right. in. You know, you got to right. take it out or tell the patient. And he said, oh, no, that book, you know, it doesn't, it's, it's not, the defense attorney objects that book is not authoritative. authoritative. Yeah. You can't use that book. And one of the jurors stood up and said, uh-uh, he said it was the Bible. Yeah. And the judge said, yeah, he did say it was the Bible. And then uh, and then when I was questioning the witnesses, one of the uh, one of the jurors got up and said, hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, it was like they were preaching with you. They were preaching. Yeah, it was like, preach, baby. So they said like, hallelujah and uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, that, those were good signs, right? Those are signs that we look for. And we won. Yeah, We, we won huge. over $3 won million. Dollars. Jeff like almost fell out of his chair, I yeah. think. Uh, and that that was a... This is a case that a lot of people didn't put a lot of value on. And that's one thing I admire about you. You took that case that a lot of people thought, oh, there's some issues, right? Because every case, you know, never, not every case is a slam dunk. Right? Yeah, there's yeah. not you're not you don't always have causation you don't always have liability damages whatever and it it had some issues but you took that case because of your friendship with Jeff and was like you know what I've never tried a med mail case but I'm willing to try something that I'm not used to yeah. and because you took that step and you tried it how you did the result was just I think everyone was shocked I remember when you called me I almost fell out of my chair yeah. because I was like there's no way like he's kidding me because no one put the value of what you no, got on that case. Nobody had taken the time to understand and, and yeah. care about the client. Yeah. And that's part of the reason he was in that predicament in the first place is these medical professionals didn't care either. Yeah, no, um, not at all. So, but you know, that's something I admire about Jeff and some of the cases is he would take cases that people would say, you have zero chance. Oh, plenty you, of times. You or, or an unpopular case. Yeah. Uh, and he's taken it. You can't win them all, but he's no. won a lot. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes you have to care and you have to do and you have to take chances. Yeah. So what about like, so tell us about some of your crazy stories. So you, I mean, to put it in perspective, you would literally get on a plane. Yeah. Go on a private jet. Yeah. And fly with Jeff around the country and literally go try case after case after case after case. Yeah. And he was trying, I mean, I think last year. He probably tried more cases at his age than most people in their entire career. career. Yeah. He would literally go from one trial to another on a plane, which, which boggled my mind because, uh, to prepare, it takes a lot out of you. Like when I go to trial, I need time to decompress, to heal, to get back. So how did he do it? We never had a break. Well, what was it like? Tell us. Yeah. So like for instance, last year, so we started the year. Um, preparing for a trial that ended up settling about a week or two before trial and then immediately jumped into a case that we had in Florida and uh, we were there for like three or four weeks on and off still running a company 
Um, the he, firm. The firm, right? And he also had a hotel in the British West Indies, still does. So, I mean, we had so many balls up in the air while also trying cases. Four weeks. That's a long time. Like, yeah. I can't even go on vacation for four weeks. Yeah. And you're in a courtroom for four weeks. Four well, weeks, nonstop. Yeah. And then we came home for like three days on a weekend. It was like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And we had to finish up stuff at the office and then flew directly to Iowa and started another case. And I'll never forget, like I had started while he was still doing the Florida one. I was like sitting in the courtroom starting to look through medical records for, for the, another case for another case because I had to memorize it. So what I would do is he always joked and said he was like a bathtub. So he'd prep for that case and fill it up. And then as soon as the case was over, he'd empty the bathtub to start to the next one. Because when you're going back to back like that, it was crazy. And so that's what I did. So I was prepping, reading the medical records, trying to memorize them so that I could get him ready. I'll never forget. We were flying to Iowa on his plane. It was like dead of winter, February. It's cold in Iowa then. And we're um, on the plane and I'm going through the medical records. I'm like, okay, this is the bullet. But we had a mock trial the next morning. It was and he's just learning it. Just learning before. it the night before. Not many lawyers can do that. No, especially. And it was a very complex medical malpractice What was case. it about? Yeah, so it's a um, crazy case. Um, the baby was getting ready to be born and there was um, a fetal heart monitoring strip and the it was showing deceleration so the baby was losing oxygen very fast and um the doctor went in to try to deliver the baby and couldn't pull the baby out so she took forceps and crushed the baby's skull oh my god yeah and still couldn't get the baby out she slipped she actually like fell trying to pull the baby out so forceps these are like tools like they're almost like, like they look like salad off prongs. A grill yeah like, they look know, like, like salad prongs almost okay and they use them and they grab the baby's head to try to pull the i mean baby are out. you supposed to just grab a little tiny fetal baby's head well you, you have to be careful let's just put it that way there's you know standard of care and using these instruments and she forcibly tried to pull the baby out and actually fell when she, she did it she over. like stumbled stumbled oh and the baby mind mind you this baby's losing oxygen at this point and the baby was what we believe and argued brain dead at this point um and she, she couldn't get him out so she um used a vacuum and suctioned the baby out when they got the baby out so they took breathing. like a hoover vacuum <laughs> oh it not quite a Hoover, Hoover vacuum. It's like a medical device that they use that basically is like a suction cup. So it's like almost kind of looks like a plunger. And it's like a and long they stick. they put it on the baby's head? head? And it suction cups to the baby's head and then they pull them out like that. Uh, none of this. Uh, look, I don't do a lot of birth trauma cases. Crazy. And maybe some of the listeners out there. But isn't there a better way than using yeah. like stuff that I use to clean my house and get hot dogs off my grill <laughs> right to get a baby out yeah uh, our argument was he should have been taken for c-section because the signs were there the fetal heart monitors and her strips showed the baby was not doing good there was prolonged decelerations and they, they just decided oh well, let's just try to do this naturally um so we prepped for that case on the plane and the next day went and uh did a mock trial on it and then we went to trial on the case for another three to four weeks um, that was the wow, one of the craziest. That's two months of trial. Yeah. And without much of a break in between. Zero break. Uh, not many people can do that. No, we were running on no sleep. Yeah, basically. I remember you you calling me during that time. You were very cranky. Very <laughs> I was cranky. No sleep. If not you were a happy cranky, Sam. I can't imagine how Jeff was. So yeah, it, I mean it's crazy. I mean he was 72, 72 at the time, and or seventy one. I mean had more energy than me. 
I'm like yeah. sitting there like, Jeff, I'm dying. And he's like, no time, like no rest. So what happened with that case? What was the defense on that Iowa case? I mean, they made up every defense in the book. Well, what? It's okay to crush a baby's head or what? What's I mean? Yeah, I mean every day, every day there was a new thing. But basically, that the fetal heart monitor strips uh, didn't say what they said. They come up with everything, yeah. whether it be genetics, the, you know, the they, the C section. There was no indication that they should have done one. Every it's basically throwing the kitchen sink. And what did what happened with the jury? And and what was it like in Iowa? Like trying because you know it's hard to try cases. Yeah. In general. Okay, yeah. it's scary for most lawyers. Um, you know, my favorite, most comfortable venue is Wayne County Circuit Court. Oh, okay? yeah. Okay, because I'm like, you know, I grew up there yeah. as a lawyer, baby it's lawyer. Best county there. to try a case. Yeah, and like, I just feel most at home there. Yeah. But, you know, I've tried cases all over the state of Michigan. But the farther you get out of your comfort zone, I think the harder it is. Oh, 100%. Now, I can't imagine flying to Florida trying a case getting on a plane and then flying to a completely new courtroom where you don't know the judge, you don't know, you just are in kind of foreign territory, like a foreign land yeah. going to war. So what was it like trying a case in Iowa? It was one of the craziest, most coolest experiences I've ever had. So obviously in any case, you know, when you're coming from out of state, right? And you're Jeffrey Feiger, who arguably a lot of people do know, right? So yeah. even people know him from Dr. Jack Kevorkian, so, or the Jenny Jones trial. So he had a lot of very famous cases that were somewhat controversial. Absolutely. And a lot of people have, you know, he ran for governor. So a lot of people had preconceived ideas of him. Obviously in Michigan, it was more of a challenge than in other states because some people in other states didn't know him, but some people did. I'll never forget in that case, uh, there was somebody, there was a juror that got up and he was a professor and he knew of Jeff from just, you know, the work he did with Dr. Dr. Jack Kevorkian. So you're coming from... And for our listeners, Dr. Jack Kevorkian yeah. was a very famous case that, that Figer did. That's what where put him on it was the map. It was physician-assisted suicide. suicide. Yeah. Dr. Jack, and there's like Netflix about it. They made a movie about yeah. it. I think Robert De Niro played him. But anyways... Yes. Uh, Jeff defended him like what three times yeah he was charged with murder for uh giving giving some people who had terminal illness, illness yeah drugs that allowed them to basically pass away and take their own life which yep. was very controversial very on a lot of levels yeah. a lot of religious uh state government you know the whole government yards. there was all kinds of stuff but okay so so what uh what was it like in Iowa and like, and what happened? Yeah. So it was very interesting. We were right in Iowa city. So right where the main college university is. And, um, uh, you know, we're people from out of state coming into a state that they don't know who we are. They don't know who Jeffrey Feiger is. And if they do know him, you know, they know him from that work that he did, um, in very different way of life, but in a good way. Right. So it's yeah. like everyone, when you're, and you know this, when you're picking a jury, you have a pool of people who have different past experiences, different cultures, different lifestyles. And I'll never forget, I think our jury selection took like two to three days. That's a long time. It was a long time. Um, and we ended up crazy enough having an all male jury. I think there might wow. have been like one female on it. But it was crazy because it's like this obstetrics case about, you know, birth giving birth but and what we had you all guys men. talk about for three days in jury selection so in that case it was really going through like you know do, do you have certain biases to, you know because iowa it was a little bit you know 
some people knew of the doctor in the group because, you know, a lot of people had care and treatment there. So going through it, preconceived ideas, bias, people say they're not biased, but I think everyone in some way, you know, and Jeff really got into this, has certain things that have been ingrained in them that they grew up with. Um, and not not bad things, right? Just certain things that make no, you up. No, but we pe- all have certain views that yeah. we bring with us. Which- Whether it be political, religious, um, and, you know, so it was really, I think he ended up getting off like 20 jurors for a cause. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And really just working through with them, you know, and if they had preconceived ideas or notions about, you know, doctors, it's med male cases are hard in the sense that doctors are very, we respect them, right? You well, go we, we want to trust them. We all need a doctor. Everybody, everybody, everybody who's listening to this show yeah. has a doctor or they've yep. dealt with a doctor yep. or they're going to deal with a doctor. I mean, you can't get through life without dealing with doctors Yeah, and you want to trust your doctors. Right. And most people have pretty good experiences with their doctors right. for the most part, like yeah. especially your PCP or whatever. Yeah. Because if you don't, you can go get a new one general. Exactly. Right. So it is. And we kind of give doctors the benefit of the doubt, right? Yep. We do. Um, so they are. Med mal cases are very hard. Take it from someone who's tried one. Yeah. So I can tell no, you. No, they are very... because you know what? They go to school for such a long period of time that people just have a general respect for them, right? Because yeah. to go to school for 12, 14 years and then some of them do fellowships and get into certain um, you know, um, practices and it's just, you have a lot of respect for them. So yeah. to criticize somebody that's gone to school that long, that has personalized knowledge on a certain topic yeah. or thing, and you're coming in and criticizing that we all know them and trust, right? Yeah. It's a so, big thing. So let me ask you a question. Would Jeff change the way he tried a case depending on the jurisdiction? Like, would he, would he always be the same Jeff Figer or would he, uh, tailor his, kind of persona to the jurisdiction that he was in i would say he was always the same jeff feiger but definitely in michigan it was a little different just because everyone knew who he was yeah like i'll never forget we did a mock trial once this was like my first mock trial i did i was there for like two months if that and jeff's like you're doing a mock trial with me i'm like what's a mock trial yeah. Like I had no idea what was going on and it was not a huge case. And I'll never forget we walked into the room and everyone's like, Oh my god, it's Jeffrey Feiger. Jeffrey Feiger is on this case. So in Michigan, people knew that if we were showing up, it was a big deal. Yeah. It was a big case, right? It was serious. And we, and that would be the resounding feedback you would hear people say it's like if Jeff Feiger's on it, it's a big deal. In Iowa, Florida, people didn't know necessarily who we were right yeah so you know come in very respectful and he was always a gentleman in trial people always had this preconceived idea of who he was and you know being with him for eight years he really honed in his craft and really was a gentleman and would come in and you know he cared about his client and he cared what ended up happening in this iowa case so what's the end of the story the story's still going from what I know, from what I left. But well, we what got was the verdict? Did... Over $78 million. Wow. Yeah. $78 million. Huge. Over. So, so what advice would you give to lawyers out there mm-hmm. about getting ready for trial, especially if you have a compressed time frame? Yeah. How do you do it? I mean, I know that's a big open-ended question, but... Um, you know, based on your experience, what's the best way to prepare? The best way to prepare is really digging into the case. You have to dissect a case from its infancy to the point you're at. Because if you don't know your case, 
you're going to get beat by the other side. You have to know your case and you have to know their case yeah. better than them. When we do mock trials or when I did them, I would always go and sit in the defense group and everyone would ask me, why are you going and sitting there? And I said, because those people are going to point out all the holes in our case and I want to know how to fill them. Yeah. So if you're always thinking, that if you go in thinking automatically, I'm going to win this case, you need to have that mindset, but you also need to know what don't I know, right? Because if you, you have to know your case or else you will get beat. So prepping, studying, reading all the depositions. And then when it comes to trial, knowing who you are, you can't get up there and act like if you're not John Marco, you can't try to be John Marco. Yeah, gotta you be have, authentic. You have to be yourself. And that's the problem is some people get up there and try to be someone that they're not and the jurors see through that. Yeah, when I first started trying my first cases, I tried to be Jeff Figer. And I'm not Jeff Fire. There's only one Jeff. People may say I have some, you know, tendencies. Of, yeah. But I'm not. And no. so when you try to be someone else, it doesn't work. Even for Jeff. I saw Jeff do, uh, try to be Jerry Spence once. Yeah. And not on the whole case, but he did this thing. Yeah. During his closing that he borrowed from Jerry Spence. Did you hear the bird story? He told that every single end of the trial. Oh my God. Well, this must have been the first time he told it. Because <laughs> I could tell that it was not Jeff. Because Jeff yeah. is very... Authentic, usually he's very, very uh, charismatic, charismatic. Yeah. This, he must have honed in on it because it when Jeff. I saw them, I was like, this is not because yeah. Jerry Spence is this country lawyer, right? You Love know, Jerry. like, you know, this country cowboy type lawyer. And he does this thing at the at the end of the case, like right when he does his closing. You know what I'm talking about, right? The bird story. I've heard the bird story more times than I can count in my life. All right. Well, I'll try to do, and I'm not good at it because I didn't do the bird. I'll help fill it in. I know right. it by heart. All right. So he gets up there, and Jerry would do this. This must have been Jeff's first time doing it. Yeah. And he's like, and you know, he does his closing, and then he does what's the bird story, which is like, in rebuttal, there was an old man. Very old right? man. Very old man. Yeah. A very wise old, old man. man. Yeah. And there was a young, smart Alec boy. Yep. And the old man was the wise and he knew everything in the village. And the boy decided that he wanted to trick the old man, that he was going to show the old man how smart he was. How smart he was, yeah. right? And he was going to show him that he knew better than the old man and make a fool of the old man. Yep. And he devised a plan, this young boy. He was going to go to the old man and he was going to have a bird in his hands behind his back. Yep. And he was going to have his hands closed and clasped over the bird. He would say, old man, is the bird dead or alive? Yeah. And if the old man said that the bird was dead, the boy was going to take his hands and open them up and let the bird fly away so and you say, you're wrong, old man. you foolish old man, right? The bird's alive. It was a foolproof plan. That's right. And if the old man said that the bird was alive, was the boy was going to crush the bird crush it. with his hands and crush the bird until it was dead. And say, you foolish old man. And say, you man. foolish old man, the bird is dead. You're wrong. Yeah. And when the little boy went to the old man with his plan and with the bird in his hand, he said, old man, is the bird dead? Or is it alive? And the old man looked at him and said, son, it's life is in your hands. Yeah. The bird is in your hands. The bird is in your hand. And Ladies the and case, gentlemen of the jury, the case is in your hands. Yeah. Now, I tried to do the bird story once. Yeah. 
and it was fucking laughable. Okay, <laughs> I lost it? the case. I should have never done the bird story. Yeah. And when I saw Jeff do it, it must have been the first time because he must have perfected it. But it wasn't him. It was yeah. Jerry. But that, I mean, it all goes after that. You got to be yourself, right? Hundred percent. You have to be you because if you're up there trying to be someone you're not, it's going to come through. And you, you know, I went to a lot of, um, Jeff did a lot of speaking engagements and he would talk to young lawyers. I'll never forget. It was actually a lawyer from your office. Was that an MAJ event? It was the last event we did um, before I quit working for him. And he asked Jeff, he said, I'm, I'm st- trying my first case next week. He goes, and I'm really scared. What is your advice? He worked for me. Was he worked this? for you. He still yeah. does. Yeah. Michael Jones, I yeah. think it was. And Jeff looked at him and we were in a room full of young lawyers. And did he say the bird is in your hand? <laughs> no. no. He looked at him and he said, you know what? Get up and say that. And the lawyer, like, he looked at him. He's like, what do you mean? Like, say that this is my first case and I'm scared. And he said, yeah. He goes, because they want to see you being real. So if you get up there and say, you know what? This is my first case. I'm a little scared. The jury can connect with that yes. because you're being human. They don't want a robot up there. They want somebody that has feelings, that's human, that can humanize himself. And yeah. I'll never forget him telling your um, your attorney that because I was like, most people would think, oh, I need to get up there and be big, bad, and tough, right? But show your emotions. I've be seen vulnerable. Jeff, be vulnerable. Right? I've Which seen is- Jeff cry telling stories up yeah. there because it's like, you have to be you. You're, yeah. re- you're, you're representing a family. Somebody that was injured, someone whose life was changed forever, um, and getting up there and being someone that you're not is never going to work. It never works, through. and they're going to see through it ninety nine percent of the time. Ninety nine point nine percent. It's funny that you tell that story about because for being vulnerable is easier said than done. Way easier, especially said than when that. you're scared and you're a young attorney. The first yeah. case I tried, which I lost, uh, Jeff had told me the same thing. Jeff had said, "Yeah, go and tell them that you're scared, that it's your first case, and be yeah. honest." And I didn't do that. I was like, you know what? I can't say that. I yeah. can't say that. I ha- I have to be tough. I have to show that I'm that I know more than I really do, and yeah. all this other stuff. That's exact opposite, I think, of what you need to do because exact they know that you that you know they see through that, right? Yeah. And uh, you got to be authentic, which is you know Steve Nat is going to be our next guest Steve's on the next amazing. podcast, and he wrote the book Authentic Attorney. It's about being authentic, no matter yeah. what you do. Um, which easier said than done. So, okay, we're running out of time, but I'd like to talk about one more crazy case, okay? Well, I have you here before I let you go. This case is really, truly belongs on Cases Gone Wild. Yeah. And I talked with, in one of my previous episodes, about a baby that was declared dead and put in a body bag and then sent down to the morgue. Now... I listened to that. That was nuts. It's nuts, right? With Mickey, right? Yeah. Yeah. But this case is pretty similar, isn't it? Yeah. So tell us about, because I saw it on the news. We talked about it. Yeah. The dead person case who came back to life. Yeah. So crazy, probably the craziest case I've ever worked on. Um, Our client or the client at the time, um, she was a young girl. How young? If I recall correctly, I would say she was like 12 maybe. Oh my god! Don't quote me. She was was a kid Um, and she had special needs. And in the middle of the night, she had a breathing episode. And the mom called the 911 and they came and they declared her dead and said she was dead. 
And several hours went by. And the funeral home came and picked her up. And like, this is the craziest thing of all time. The funeral home picked her up and they're on their way back. And I talked to the funeral driver, the guy for the funeral home, and he said he was driving and all of a sudden he heard. From where? The back of the car. In the hearse? Yeah, where the body was. Was the body in like a bag or what? It was wrapped up in a sheet. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So what happens? So it it's nuts. Okay, so I ended up requesting the video from the um the actual funeral home because I'm like this like is this on video like him getting her out, and I'll never forget they get her out. Okay, and they're it's like and it's a, on video. It's on video. It's like a stretcher, and they're literally like touching the top of the body. Like, is this for real? And the guy like jumps back, and she was breathing and, and they, moving, mo- moving. They call and they call nine one one, and they're like. Listen, this we we thought we picked up this body. The ambulance said the EMS said she was dead, and they rushed her to the hospital. And she lived for like a month after. What the heck? What the nuttiest. is wrong with these people? Yeah, can you so, believe that? What didn't they check for a pulse or something before they declared her dead? I mean, isn't there things they need to do before they say somebody's dead? Like, I'm going to put in my will, like, leave me for a day make before sure you I'm put like, me in the ground yeah. to make sure I'm freaking dead. I think they call it, like, Lazarus Syndrome. So we actually ended up going on Dr. Oz. He no featured way. this case on his show. Yeah, because it was, like, one of the nuttiest. I mean, I'll never for- Can you imagine that as a family, like, as a parent? No. Like, the, they declare your child dead, and they take the body, and then you get a call that your and child- you're crying You're crying, stuff? yeah. And you get a call like, oh, your child's at the hospital. They're alive. alive. This is like crazy. Like three, four hours after well, the how, fact. How, how don't they know? I mean, don't they have to check for a pulse? They of, said she didn't have one. But how is that possible? This is crazy. You know, back in the day, I know this is weird. Yeah. But like people's worst fear was to be buried, buried alive, alive, right? And when I'll, I was a look, kid, it freaked me out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't even want to say back in the day. I would say everybody's worst, worst one fear. of their worst fears. Yeah. You wake up and you're in a freaking coffin. But they used to have these these things on people's coffins because I guess back in was the day, the, I, like yeah. it was more common yeah. because they didn't have all the medical technology yeah. to test if somebody was dead. Yeah, You know, they, they didn't have the tools yeah. to make sure that they were alive or dead. You would think nowadays they would have these tools. But anyways, so back in the day, I'm talking like over 100 years mm-hmm. ago, this would happen a little more often. And they used to have these things in your coffin where if you woke up, you there was like a button on your coffin and you'd pull a lever. It's like a bell. And it would like ring a bell above your coffin that said, hey, I'm alive down here. Dig me up. Yeah. Um, but my God, that's scary. Isn't that, that is nuts? scary. Yeah. So, and I don't know how that can happen, but this is... How many people getting buried alive? Because this is the second Lazarus back from the dead case on Cases Gone Wild. And we're on like episode seven or something. That's crazy. So this is crazy. Yeah. Well, that is surely a case gone wild. Well, I know there's a lot more that we can talk about, but unfortunately, we only have so much time here on Cases Gone Wild. So I want to thank you so much for being on the show. I'm really proud of you. You're a good friend. Thank you. We've had a lot of fun over the years, and it really makes a difference yeah. working with a competent team of people who care. Yeah. 
Uh, you know, I, I miss, I really miss you, Jeff, and I working on cases together. And I wish we could talk about some of the cases that we worked on. <laughs> we had so much fun. Me and we, John were literally like this, attached at the hip yeah, for a few years. And we took cases and we literally made them something that people could not believe. And we had yeah. great results as a team. And I wish we could talk about all of them, but I can't. I don't want to get sued for Cases Gone Wild. <laughs> I don't want you to get sued. Yeah. But uh, this was amazing. So thank you. Good luck on your... Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, good luck on your consulting. I know I will definitely use you. It's invaluable. Yeah. If anybody out there has questions on... You know, one thing that you might be thinking as a lawyer is, well, I don't understand, like, how can this work? Yeah. Until you see it in action, you don't realize how helpful it is to have a litigation consultant, especially help you get ready for trial. It makes a big difference yeah. and it takes the stress off. I am the most stressed out, not when I'm in trial. It's the weeks Before. leading up for trial. It's the worst. Because there's a million things that need to get yeah. done. And if they don't get done, you're screwed yeah. in trial. Which is why the prep is everything. And I want to help lawyers really... Um, put their best foot forward before they get to trial and help bring the knowledge that I've learned from trying cases with Jeff over the last yeah. eight years to really help strengthen their case and get them ready to go so that they can get some big verdicts. Yeah, and I hopefully will have many more big verdicts. Yes. Samantha, uh, if you have questions about what Samantha does, you can contact me or you can go to, what is it, smtlitigationconsulting.com. Yep, that, that is, is a long website. That is a long web address. You I know. It? All right, but that's SMT litigationconsulting.com yes uh or just can they google you or something yeah I mean, does google samantha teal google, my samantha number is teal. on there would love to help anybody and all right get them some good verdicts well thank you hopefully many more samantha yes. thanks john for having me all right everyone it's been another awesome amazing episode of cases gone wild brought to you by marco law thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed our show today and i hope that maybe it helped enlighten you or help give you tips or tricks that you can use or hopefully you just had a good time. But again, I'm John Marco. I'm an attorney. I love what I do. And if we can help you or if we can get you the help that you need, please don't hesitate. It's free. Reach out to call. Let us see what we can do for you. We do personal injury. We do employment. We do civil rights. If we don't can't help you with your legal issue, we'll try to get you to somebody who can. Uh, you can go to our website, which is marcolaw.com. That is M-A-R with a K, M-A-R-K-O, law.com. Or give us a call, 313-777-7LAW. Please follow our show. Thank you. Until next time on Cases Gone Wild.